don't forget, you're going to die. Welcome to the We Croak podcast. I am your host, Hansa Bergwall. As usual, we talk about all the things we don't talk about enough, uh, starting with death, but not ending there. And for you today, I have a conversation a lot about death and how to think about it. With us today is Dr. Nikki Mergafori. She used to be an academic at Berkeley, uh, publishing a lot on artificial intelligence. And from there, she became a meditation teacher in the Theravada tradition of Buddhism, but really draws on a lot of her experience from technology and from science to inform this uh, meditative inquiry of the mind. And I was interested in having her on because I've heard her speak before. And uh, she does all these you know, seven-day retreats all about death contemplation. Uh, so she's an expert at teaching a kind of meditation that we're particularly interested in here. So uh, without further ado, I will introduce Dr. Nikki Mergafori. Dr. Nikki Mergafori, thank you so much for uh, coming on our program. Mm, thank you for the invitation, Hansa. It's a pleasure and delight to be speaking with you. Absolutely. So you have a unusual and noteworthy background in that you used to be an academic at Berkeley and have published papers, I believe, on artificial intelligence. And now you're also a meditation teacher. Can you talk a little bit about your your journey? Hmm. Yeah, so true. I, I have been a, a researcher um, and author in AI, um, spent a lot of years being trained in AI and doing research and leading international collaborations and research projects and, and advising PhD students and postdocs and all of that in the academic setting. And, um, and yeah, so how did a nerd like me end up becoming a Buddhist teacher, a meditation teacher? That's, that's a good starting question, Hansa. Um, Wow. Okay. Well, I'll try to address it or answer your question as briefly as I can. I think um, what I would say is I had curiosity and interest and contemplative um, curiosities and interest ever since I was a kid uh, growing up in Tehran, Iran. Um, I used to read poetry of Rumi and Hafez in Farsi and and have a sense of um, something profound, something really, really profound about them, but not quite being able to understand. And there is this sense of curiosity about life and about death. And also the poet was actually not very known in the West, but but quite popular also in Iran, Omar Khayyam, who wrote a lot about uh, life and death. Um, and um, so I, I would contemplate, I would contemplate. So this, 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 this sense of contemplation and, and awe about the mystery of life, about, um, about all this, um, about all this life that we are living uh, has been with me through the years of my um, training as a computer scientist, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I guess there are two couple of threads that that made the transition. Um, one is that um, while I was a um, scientist still working um, in AI, I became actually even before that I, I became interested in meditation and contem contemplative practices. And at some point during the the, the time that that I was at Berkeley. Um, the question came up that, um, okay, why am I doing this? I, I, I felt that I had, I was at the peak of my career at the time. I was uh, directing a sizable research, multiple research projects. And as I mentioned, international collaborations. And then there was this sense of why, why? Um, and I had been a yogi. I had been meditating for many years. Um, at, by that point, and and, um, and I decided I wanted to take a um, sabbatical, take a sabbatical 
and devote myself full time for an entire year um, to meditation and contemplation practices. And then when the one year was was up, uh, I felt like I wasn't quite done. And I spent another year, uh, two years uh, during that time, devoting myself to um, meditation retreats. I did um, uh, a three-month silent retreat at the time, actually, with my primary teacher, uh, Venerable Park Sayada in the Burmese tradition. And um, and he's the one who uh, basically told me to teach. He, 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 it, he basically told me that you must teach the Dharma. And at the time, I didn't tell anyone. It just blew my mind because I never thought I would ever teach Buddhism or meditation or Dharma. I was a nerd. I taught computer science at the university. That's, that's what I had spent my whole life doing and uh, cultivating. Um, and somehow with him saying, and even as I shared with you the story, I'm still touched and moved how, you know, when he would tell me that you must teach, I would, I would bow and say, Bonte, which means dear sir, in, um, uh, in Pali, in the language of the Buddha, I would say, dear sir, thank you, thank you, but I teach computer science. And in my heart, in my mind, I would say, it would be rude to say, no way, are you kidding me? Me teaching Buddhism <laughs> uh, was not an appropriate answer to give. So I would just say, uh, thank you, but this is what I teach. So anyway, here we are. Um, gosh, let's see, uh, a decade and a half later almost, and and my life was changed um, and again lots of little details here and there but but really the the actual transition from um, being a research scientist to to becoming a Buddhist teacher that that was the I would say the um, linchpin I mean there are many other things I mean anything that happens in our lives there are so many causes and conditions so many causes and conditions um, that if I try to enumerate all of them, um, including getting Lyme disease uh, a decade before that, which made me quite familiar with suffering and pain, uh, that was a part of it. And, and um, yeah, many other things. But that's, uh, yeah, may maybe I'll leave it at that as, uh, as, as how the transition perhaps happened. Oh, Lyme disease, that one can really <laughs> get you. But that's a beautiful um, story of how quickly life changes. And I have to say, I've not been in one of your Dharma talks in person, but you have many talks up online on your website, and they're wonderful Dharma talks, if anyone is interested. And one of the themes that you mentioned early on here is the word curiosity. And I heard you speak before about, you know, how that spirit of curiosity and awe informs both the subject of being immersed in science and then hopefully the, the subject of inquiry into our own awareness. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that through line for you of what inquiry means to you in a computer science laboratory and on a meditation cushion while contemplating mortality or other meditations. Yeah, I, I so appreciate the question, Hansa, and, and and I particularly appreciate that you've done your homework and you've read and listened to my talks and you have this sense that and you've seen come across how curiosity is is a theme, is one of the themes, many, many different themes, but this is definitely a theme that is a through line for me. So I really appreciate you picking that up and bringing up because that is um, dear to my heart, as you said, both as a scientist, a sense of curiosity, wanting to know, wanting to understand with, with a sense of humility um, for the don't know, for the with, with a don't know mind. Um, and the same way that, that I approach uh, meditation practice, um, not as something to conquer, not my mind, my body, my uh, life or reality not being something to conquer, but something to approach with a deep humility, with a deep curiosity um, 
of humility, uh, of, of wanting to know and, and, and having a sense that there is so much that I don't understand. There is so much that I don't understand, I don't know. And I would love to know. So there is a love, there is this eros for wanting to know, wanting to open up my heart, my mind to understanding, to um, penetrating, to, 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 to being in touch, being connected uh, to more than I can hold right now. And, and also, it also comes with a sense of confidence. I think what I would say with, with humility I think humility also has a sense of confidence. Uh, this curios he, um, curiosity with humility also has a sense of confidence of, ah, um, it is possible. This being that is me, this mind, that heart here, it is capable to set the right conditions in place, um, to understand more, to to touch more, to feel more. Um, so, and as I say this, actually, um, I realize that um, this also, this, this sense of um, also almost, you know, with this curiosity, with this sense of humility, there's a religiosity um, that's not limited to religion, but there's a sense of religiosity that, that actually I remember my hero, um, my childhood hero uh, has written about and talked about Albert Einstein, and I, I'll share with you. You know, I was so nerdy when I was uh, when I was 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 a kid and loved math and physics. And you know, um, young girls, maybe young women, have crushes on celebrities or whoever. And I had a crush on uh, Albert Einstein, who was deceased <laughs> at the time. <laughs> oh. But uh, but but he talks about that that sense of wow this this sense of curiosity humility that just the workings of nature the workings of our mind the workings of of this universe this world uh, to to approach it with that sense of curiosity and humility so that that definitely is a through line for me and it continues to be it continues to be and in fact I think it has even it has intensified more. Because um, previously looking at data, you know, there is a sense of curiosity of what does the data mean? What's finding patterns in the data, using all the mathematical tools we have uh, to look at it. Um, and here, the the laboratory is my mind. The laboratory is this world. Um, and the tools are my mind and the tools of contemplation um, and meditation. How do you connect with your curiosity um, on the mat, let's just say doing death contemplation, because I don't, I think people think of meditation as a wellness practice, something that you do, maybe it's a little boring, like exercise, but you get through it. But you're talking about a radically different idea that we should be progressing somewhere as we sit there and do our contemplations. And I was wondering if you had any advice for someone looking to re-engage or, you know, have a renaissance in their mindfulness practice by tapping into that spirit of curiosity. Yeah. So I appreciate you bringing this up. Um, the change in perspective, I mean, exactly what you mentioned, which is shifting a perspective from one of oh, this is good for my health, I need to do this, I need to do it 20 minutes, science says it's good for me, okay, check, done, remote. Ouch! That that perspective is, is one to make it rote, make, keep, keep one limited, et cetera, et cetera, but, but actually shifting the perspective, the container, um, the logos in which it is, it is held, the whole practice is held, and um, that so 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 the advice I would give to someone to actually approach um, your practice completely differently, and when I work with students uh, one on one, a lot of times that really is the 
the what what I notice the way they're approaching their practice, the way they're approaching the practice, whether they're approaching it as an attainment, like yes, check, medal, att- you know, uh, attaining uh, liberation, nibbana, nirvana, done. Like oh, is it is it is it that kind of a, an approach, or is it a yes, I have to, I must, uh, it's good for me, or or so many other ways that it's not actually supportive. It doesn't really support the beauty of the burgeoning of of the mind and heart um, in service of what we truly love what 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 are val- what are your values what do you want to serve what do you want to, do you want to become kinder be more loving to the people whom you care about um, do you want to serve a sense of beauty a sense of grace a, a a, a, a transcendent way of being in the world. What is it that you you want to serve? So it really comes out of the values, out of the sense of love that you have in order to transform your perspective as you sit on the cushion. Um, otherwise, it can be kind of dry. It can be very dry. Um, so, so my invitation is to really think about the perspective. How is it being held? Uh, why are you doing this? In fact, one radical invitation in the past I've given at least a few of my students is when they were just sitting and the sitting was feeling, their meditation practice was feeling kind of boring and and uh, there was no juice. I told them to stop sitting, <laughs> just stop practicing for a month. And it seems pretty radical for meditation for a Buddhist teacher to tell you to stop practicing. But so that you actually start to develop a love, a de- develop a sense of devotion and care for for this for yourself and for this practice you're attending. Um, and one last thing I would say in terms of this framing is that first and foremost is really the perspective that you you take about the, the, your your practice. So um, and also in in Buddhism that perspective um, is really the one is is the first and foremost uh, consideration so many of your um, listeners might be familiar in buddhism there is the concept of the eightfold noble path which are the eight uh, aspects the eight dimensions the eight aspects of unfolding of the practice in life and the very first one is wise view, or translated as right view. Um, it's basically the way we see. It's the perspective we take about anything. So if you don't have a wise perspective, if it's not a wise perspective, then all the other steps are going to go awry. You're not going to be going towards a very wholesome destination. Maybe you're just going to stay being a gerbil in the wheel if if your perspective is not wise. Thank you. That's that's a really nice uh, reminder, I think, that uh, to invite us to re-engage. You're teaching a day-long, uh, I guess, retreat. I guess you do them online now because of the pandemic, but they're still retreats. Mindful of mortality. Living Fully and Dying Fearlessly, I believe, is the title. And I was wondering if you could share why someone would want to go on a whole retreat about being mindful of their death. Yeah, good question, right? And uh, so, so, yes, this is a one-day retreat I'm teaching. And also to say that I have taught in the past, and I don't have one scheduled right now, but also I've taught seven-day retreats on the topic of mindfulness of death. So you can say, why would someone come to one day or seven days of, of devoting themselves to become mindful of, of their death? Oh, um, gosh, so many reasons. Well, as, as you well know, uh, and, and this part could, if the tables were turned, Hansa, I would be interviewing you and asking why you got interested in promoting and, and, being, and studying this, but, but I'll save that well, for another time. 
I will say that I, I check in daily on my phone. I, I try to do a little bit at a time, but I would be scared to do a full seven days of nothing but death contemplation. So make the case to me. I, I've never done it. Oh, I love it. You should come then. Oh, this is fantastic. So maybe we tell you what, come to the day long. I'll answer your question and then you can come back from the day long and, and talk about it to your audience. <laughs> this is great. I'm loving this. This is, this is fun. So yeah, so this is great. So why would you? Well, you know, um, there's something about uh, devoting some time to really go in deeply and really let your mind settle uh, on on a topic. And, and I can say the same thing about any meditation retreat. So let me just first make the, the case for a general meditation retreat and then for um, for mindfulness of death. So so say loving kindness, cultivating kindness, compassion, etc., which is another topic that I'm very passionate about and I teach a lot of. So yes, it's fantastic to practice that on the cushion, to cultivate metta, M-E-T-T-A, loving kindness. Um, to, um, and when you go on a retreat, it takes it takes some time for your mind to settle, which is great. And then you give your heart to it and then you can go deeper and deeper and settle in more than you ever would if you were just spending 30 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half um you can go deeper also in and and you know coming back to that aspect of humility and curiosity because when you're only doing it 30 minutes or whatever amount of time it's like oh yeah this is the extent of it this is as far as i'm going to go this is as much as i'm de devoting myself but there's a sense of curiosity oh there is more there's a sense of love oh there is more here there's more here and yes you could be on the edge of fear even let's say with with loving kindness there could be a sense of oh what happens if i you know, if I'm sitting and cultivating love for myself and I realize, oh, I, I'm actually really angry at myself for this thing and the floodgates are going to open and I'm going to cry and, oh, go, what if? So, there, yes, there could be fear. Of course, there could be fear. And we work through supporting ourselves, trusting that uh, you will have the tools. You will have the tools. You'll be provided with the tools to work with the fear and extend your edge of comfort to extend your edge of comfort. Um, otherwise, if we always stay in our comfort zone, we're not going to grow. And of course, you don't want to just completely throw all the, um, you know, caution to the wind and completely open, open everything up. But trust that say for people, um, who have come, on, well, let me just give the example of the seven-day retreat, seven-day um, mindfulness of death retreat. You know, there have been people who, who came because they were scared. They said at the beginning that I saw this on the calendar and I thought, wow, this, this scares me. So, okay, I'm here now. That's why I'm here, because I felt really challenged. So, so knowing that, trusting that, um, you can titrate, you can step in at your own pace, little by little, um, you, not feeling overwhelmed. And yet you will be extending your, um, your, your edge in order to grow, in order to hold more, in order to, to step, to, to step out of the, this, the, the prison, the prison of fear that can hold one back because stepping out of that sense of fear is, wow, you can actually, speaking again, coming back to the primary question about mindfulness of death, uh, become more comfortable with, um, with your own mortality, having more sense of peace and ease with our own mortality. And when we have that, being able to support, being able to be there, hold, kind, generous, compassionate presence for our loved ones, for other people whom we care about, for their death, which can be a huge gift to the people that we love. 
for us to be present, being present for them when we have dealt with our own fear of mortality. Um, also, if we have faced our own fear of mortality and have made peace with it as much as possible, it can also serve as a gift, not just to ourselves, um, because we can actually live more fearlessly. We will not engage. We will engage less with what's called terror management theory activities, things that we do uh, that, that try to manage our terror of death, things that are really unskillful. We don't have to waste time doing those things anymore. There's just no need. There's a sense of peace. Like, yes, I've come. I will go. Just, I have limited time. Yes. So it's a gift to ourselves in that way. And it's also a gift to us at the time of death because we can, who knows what it's going to be. We have no idea what's going to happen. So so we can have a sense of peace and ease uh, and who knows, I'll, I'll be as bold as saying, maybe we can even enjoy the process, this mystery, this threshold of passing. And maybe there, maybe there's something, maybe there is nothing. I don't know. I'm not going to make any assumptions. I haven't been there to come back and report. Uh, there are plenty of, you know, NDE reports, etc. But I'll keep that aside. I'll keep that in the Pandora's box closed for a moment. But but who knows? But but at least we'll have more more ease, both as a gift to ourselves and as a gift to our loved ones who don't who won't have to keep worrying about us or taking care of us. Um, they'll see us at peace. Oh, I'll be a gift to them to just enjoy. Um, that transition with us the same way that we we in, we celebrate birth and 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 uh, the amazement of it death can also be um, this amazing transformative experience so and and one more thing to say which is perhaps one of the most important things to say about the practice of mindfulness of death especially immersively as we extend our um, comfort zone gently ever so gently it's not it's really the way i teach it's not about i don't know exposing you to the extremes it's not that it's really gently gently um, we really get to then recognize and live according to our values knowing that time is short knowing that time is short living according to our values so um and yeah, there's a lot more to say about that, but I don't know. Tell me, Hansa. So I'd love to really hear from you. Are you convinced, or are you still you're still wondering? I don't know about this. Yeah, you know, I think I'm I'm very curious. So that's a good starting place. I love how you bring it to it's a gift to the people you love. That has been a theme on this show. We've had a lot of guests who work in palliative care, and they have warned us many times of how when we're ready and um, ready to face death, it can be the honor of a lifetime to sit uh, with a loved one as they pass. Uh, and when we're not, it can really lead to lots of unnecessary suffering, um, bickering and fighting by, you know, a, um, someone's last bed, as it were. Um, and um, but that can be very sad for people in the industry to watch or to experience yourself. So I hear the promise of that being ready in your voice and how beautiful it can be as, as that gift. Hey, Ian, how can people support our podcast? You know, there's so many great ways to support it. The best way that really helps Hansa and I is through our Patreon page. We have an awesome Patreon page, two wonderful subscriber levels, and the highest level is, I think, the most exciting. It's certainly my favorite. It's um, the We Croak Superstar, where you get your very own We Croak Live Immediately mug. And, oh, it's just, it's just marvelous. And uh, I will take us out with a little quote. Uh, this is um, Haruki Murakami. Life is short, uh, a lot more fragile than we think. So you should treat others in a way that leaves no regrets fairly and if possibly possible, sincerely. And now, back to the episode. 
I know also um, from listening to some of your talks that you speak of 10 benefits of um, doing death contemplation. So I was wondering if you could tell me about a couple more. Yeah, it's, the number has been increased to 12. I keep <laughs> discovering more and more. Yeah. That's amazing. I would love to hear the most recent discoveries as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It might also be a matter of categorization. Maybe they're more being lumped into one. But, but yeah, actually, um, I appreciate you asking about that because I think that is really, really significant. And I already mentioned actually a bunch of them um, just now. I slipped them into the answer to the previous question, uh, the reflection. And, and um so a few of them, just to actually highlight them, as I said, one is uh, freeing up energy so that one does not have to engage in, in um, uh, unskillful fear management activities, excessive um, sex and alcohol and busyness and, you know, escapism, basically, uh, uh, and... and um, there are many studies about how people engage in these. And I think you've had, had at least one guest on your podcast who's talked about uh, these these activities um, uh, arising from uh, um, fear oh, of death. Yeah. So that, yeah, so, so that's one benefit. Um, then also, as I mentioned, the gift both to ourselves at the time of death um, so that we can be more free uh, and enjoy it. And another gift to ourselves, which I didn't mention, is actually there are teachings in the Buddhist canon about the possibility of awakening nibbana, nirvana, rose by any name, awakening at the moment of death. So, um, you know, we keep practicing during life to open up um, to to liberation, to freedom, and there are teachings about letting go at the time of death, so that can become possible. Another gift mentioned already, as as you highlighted, is really a gift to our loved ones, <clears throat> as we become uh, more comfortable with our own mortality. It's a gift to them. Um, and another one I also mentioned, and I really want to highlight, is when we become in touch with the brevity of our time without fear. It, it, it serves as a re-anchoring of our life. Realize time is short. Time is very short. And how can we live according to our values? And there are plenty of studies um, that I've talked about at length in various places that um, even if we have a sense of what our values are, we don't always uh, live according to them. And, and various surveys, how uh, how much people spend more time, say, watching television or nowadays Netflix and compared to, say, what they report is important to them or makes them more happy, which is, say, uh, meditation or spiritual activities or spending time with friends. So, so it's important to us, but we just don't spend time. And, and, and the way to deal with that is not to, to use the stick and say, okay, willpower, do it. There are studies suggesting that willpower is overrated. It's actually really hard uh, to use willpower. And so there's a lot of stress, but, but one, one way to actually do it is the carrot, is the carrot method which is to bring to our attention, to our consciousness, the scarcity of our time. That time is really, really short. It's, it's brief. So, sweetie, hey, if this is your goal in life, this is, if this is one thing you want to accomplish before you die, um, you better make time for it. You better do it now. Turn, turn off, uh, you know, the, whatever gadget you're, you're in front of. So, so living according to our values is another very, very important gift. Um, another uh, one is, um, again, there, there are teachings and, and there is um, um, an opening of the heart that can happen um, through, through the contemplation of death when we realize our time is short. Um, sense of forgiveness, um, uh, kindness. Uh, generosity, uh, compassion, 
uh, love, these values start to, to shine more. Because when we start to look at our lives from our deathbed perspective, and we really take time, it's one of my favorite meditations to do for people on, on these day-longs and, and the retreats that I do, to, to really, after they're ready, to, to have them look back at their, at their life from their death, deathbed perspective. How do you want to have lived? What, what, what is important to you? How well did you love? Uh, how well did you learn to let go, to forgive? It becomes important, these, these, the, the uh, mundane uh, pettiness. Uh, it starts to take a different shape uh, when we look at it from these different perspectives. And again, you see this idea of perspective keeps coming in. Um, and also, and gratitude is another one that really comes in, which, you know, the fact that you're alive, what's the probability that you're here, to, that, that you would be here today, that, you know, the sperm and the egg and everything that happened and blah, 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 blah that you, in these unique ways that you are you, that you've showed up. So, and there's so much gratitude can come in as a practice instead of, darn it, I'm going to die. How unfair. What do you mean it's unfair? It's a, it's a grace. It's a gift that you were even born, that you have this day, that you're ex experiencing the joys or even the sorrows, even the, the pains that you experience. It, it can make even the sorrows and the pains of your life give them a different dimensionality, give them a sense of grace. Like, wow, this is pretty amazing to be conscious, to, to worry this way, to suffer this way, to have pain this way. It, it can really transform. So um, uh, there's more I can say, but given that this is not a day long or 10-day or retreat, <laughs> uh, I'll save you the rest. <laughs> so I was looking at your teaching schedule and uh -huh. it's full of meta meditation or kindness meditation. And one of actually the reasons I got into death contemplation practice is in my research, I ran across um, a teaching from, I think it was like a fifth century um, Buddhist scholar named Buddha Goza said of the 40 kinds of meditation or however many it is, only two are always beneficial kindness um, cultivation of kindness and the recollection of death. And that was sort of when I suddenly had this aha moment, I need to do this. Um, I was wondering as a teacher of meditation, why do you think, you know, um, kindness meditation is so popular, every other kind is so popular, but most people haven't tried um, death contemplation mindfulness, that it's, um, didn't come over with the rest of the teachings, at least at first. Yeah. First of all, I just have to say, Hansa, I am delighted. I am smiling ear to ear with you mentioning Buddha Gosa. <laughs> and and um, the, um, you didn't mention the path of purification, but Visuddhimagga, uh, this, this uh, 5th century uh, compendium of of early Buddhist practices is a book that is dear to my heart. And I've read, it's, it's about a thousand pages. I've, I've read a lot of it and practiced the practices in there. So it just delighted my heart to hear you quote Buddha Gosa. <laughs> We're both fans of Buddha Gosa. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, so to the crux of your question, um, yes, why is that it seems that out of the two um, meditation that seems so powerful and profound as Buddha Gosa, this, this um, acclaimed Buddhist scholar recommended, really uh, metta loving kindness, kindness practices have um, come through and, and are being practiced specifically in the West and not so much death meditation. Um, I have my ideas and I trust you have yours because you've thought about this. It's, um, I think practicing kindness and cultivating kindness might feel more easily approachable for people. Whereas 
with terror management theory, the idea of contemplating death might seem a little just just scary for people. Um, so it's easier you know, for them to do one versus the other. Um, and, and yet, um, when, so, 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 you know, there's so many practices, so many contemplative practices in the Buddhist canon and, and, um, so little of that is actually taught in the West. So you may also be familiar with what the Buddha said. The Buddha told his disciples that, um, look at the forest. You see how many trees, how many leaves are on the trees. So out of all the knowledge um, in the world, so, so, so as if the, the, the amount of knowledge, contemplative knowledge and practices are all the leaves on the trees, what I've taught you is a handful of leaves, is just a handful of leaves. Okay, so thousands of sermons, the Buddha, and all these practices we don't teach in the West, 32 parts of the body, death contemplation, you know, you name it, four elements, you know, there's so many practices um, um, in Visuddhimaggas and, and, and other, uh, other sources. So that is a handful of leaves. But what is really taught in the West, I feel, is like the, a tip it's like a tip corner, teeny weeny part of one leaf. So it's mostly people think of, oh yeah, mindfulness, breathe in, breathe out, oh, watch your mind, blah, blah, blah. So that is a tiny part of one leaf. There's so much more. Um, and, and But when people become more and more interested, I think they go deeper and they discover. Um, they discover their there are more leaves, there are more parts to the leaves. Um, so I think two aspects of that, there is a lot more to dis to discover. And also, um, it's, it's, I think it's harder, terror management theory. I think it, that that might be the explanation. Yeah, I'm curious what you think about that. You know, at first I thought it was because it seemed like an alien idea. However, the idea of Death contemplation is all through the West as well. The Stoics did it. It's on every other page of Marcus Aurelius's meditations. Um, they made momentum mori objects all throughout the Middle Ages. So it's not alien to the culture at all, but um, somehow uh, in the modern context, um, forgotten or de-emphasized. And I'm, I'm not always sure why. But there does seem to be a real allergy to it today. And um, and I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you, you saying that. And, and as you say this, what comes up for me is actually um, it goes um, along the lines of how death is pushed away and also old age perhaps in the western culture is hidden is pushed away whereas where i come from from the east from iran um it's you know the old people are not so pushed away and, and hidden away or or death so so i wonder whether there's something cultural and i'm just without having any really evidence as a scientist i like to have some evidence but here i'm just going to pu pull out a hypothesis i wonder whether there's something about the um the capitalistic society i wonder uh with with focusing on um um the the, the beautiful and the good and always more and i don't know uh, there might be something there Again, this theory is not quite well developed yet. It could be what changed, um, actually. Um, I know from experience as someone with a full-time job and all these other things that you can get really busy and not want to do inquiry and meditation. <laughs> um, and it's de-emphasized. Um, I was wondering if you had thoughts about that in terms of your you know, experience with... Um, computers and AI research and likely algorithms and how those have really become a hot topic in the news lately. I don't know if you've followed it where people are blaming some of these um, algorithms and ways of connecting people with really um, 
leading a lot of people astray into realms of fake news and, you know, extremism and all sorts of uh, ills that make, uh, aren't, uh, uh, lead people away from what's, what's real and tangible and true. And um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, it's it's interesting, actually quite timely that you bring this up and how it really relates to the previous topic um, of capitalism. Because if we spe- especially consider that the the main goal of, of how these algorithms are design, designed is not to increase people's uh, happiness or their contemplation or their uh, their health, etc. It's is to increase um, revenue, sales, clicks, sell eyeballs. Right? That's that's the measure of success. So if that is the measure, if we're not really caring about, it, it depends on what it is we're maximizing. So with with algorithms, um, there's always some something we are maximizing, right? So, so if we're maximizing benefit, corporate benefits at any cost, oh yes, what's going to get the most click? Oh, it turns out uh, what is most incendiary uh, emotionally is going to increase the po- increase the click rate. So, oh yes, and if click rate is increase, increases and if people spend more time on these platforms, um, then oh, we can sell other products and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So, so um, of course, of course we can see how um, you know, the previous topic or the previous hypothesis of capitalism can really tie into how uh, algorithmically then the, the unwholesome aspects of them get get multiplied, multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. Now that combined with uh, more recent research about uh, choice engineering, how do we design choices for ourselves? How do we design choices for others? Well, we make it so easy. Uh, if, if, you, if you do very little, um, then... If, if how should I put this? If you do um, uh, in 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 habit formation, for example, uh, the the best that the um, if you can reduce the amount of energy that it takes to take a different step or the next step, then it becomes much easier for the whatever choice you have engineered to to, to happen. So what do I mean by that? When that complicated uh, explanation? So for example, say um, at the end of, say, if you're watching Netflix or 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 Prime Video or something or or YouTube movies, at the end it says uh, it, it automatically starts the next video, right? If you don't do anything. So by the way, it's it's smart to disable that. I've disabled that so that you actually have to do. So if you don't do anything. You know, right? They, it's it's so easy algorithmically. It is so easy to do nothing and to be sucked into the next thing, yeah. right? To be sucked. So by increasing that that um, making it just a little harder, then you know you can actually change change uh, um, change course. So so coming back to the to the pri- to the first part of your question. Um, it's really what's being optimized. Profits are being optimized, not you contemplating how limited time you have on this earth. So actually, you want to become kinder. You want to become. Uh, you want to want, spend more time uh, in charity and, and in, in compassionate acts towards others. That's not what's being optimized. It's it's revenues. Yeah, actually. This is one of the topics that really can get me going just because it was a lot of my personal meditation and studies that led me to being much more interested in technology because, you know, these, um, there's this concept in Buddhism and you could probably explain it much better than I could of kleshas, of, um, you know, the unconscious ways that life provokes us, um, and sometimes it just seems like you know they've created these immensely powerful algorithms that exploit our kleshas, such as our capacity to be outraged or incensed or lazy and just watch whatever's put in front of us or drawn in in some way. 
in order to make a few people very, very rich, because these are exactly the blind points in our psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Exactly. Yeah. So what I, I this point, I want to say I really appreciate how your interest actually in your practice and your interest in technology has has given rise to you doing something to to give birth to um to WeCroak. I think when when we exchanged emails uh, some time ago, I uh, when you reached out to me, I I was delighted because I have been a WeCroak user for many years, and I've recommended it to. Uh, to many folks and many of my students and when I teach retreats, I've recommended it to people because I think having the right context, having the right context of of this contemplation, after, um, then it can really support people to to continue. They, they can use technology in a really wise way um, to, to be reminded of their mortality, especially if they're wasting time, they're in the middle of something that's not profitable, they're Maybe uh, they're thinking about uh, they're they're stuck in a in an angry loop or something that's just not profitable, and then then uh, they see this reminder: "Hey, remember, you're going to die." <laughs> then you know, just like a house of cards. <laughs> so just just to say, I'm I'm a really happy user. I recommend it to people. In fact, last night I was giving a talk and invited a talk at San Francisco Zen Center, and something came up, and I was oh yes, I know it. Uh, there was a recent quote that I saw on on your app that actually I I shared last night, and I had to I wanted to give them credit as to where the quote had come from, and I said oh there's this app that I love, and as I was saying you know death contemplation, I saw some people you know smile, and I saw some people wince on Zoom like oh my god death contemplation, <laughs> this is something she does, <laughs> she teaches, so um. So yeah, and and what, what also one other thing to say though, um, is is as as you and I are clearly you know excited about this practice and given the right context, I think can really the technology can really support, and and yet I think recently um a, um, a, a uh, writer reached out to me and you and I think an an article showed up recently um in uh where was it uh yes in wired um and it hadn't occurred to me that that for some people who may not have the context of of um uh, death contemplation actually your you know the app the we croak app could lead people to 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 engage in you know terror management theory in escapist uh, behavior that had never occurred to me, Hansa. So this person, uh, you, you know what I what I'm talking about, right? So so seeing the the, the reminder of you may die, you you know, remember you're going to die, and people instead of of actually taking taking that in within the context of 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 values and and ethics, uh, instead actually shutting out and doing something that's escapist. So, so that was interesting to me and, and a bit of a surprise to me. But you probably have heard about this before. You know, I was terrified of bad outcomes a few years ago when I launched the app. And I've yet to have a really bad one reach me across my fingers. It doesn't happen. I think part of it is people really self-select in who really want this experience. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there are people who are starting at square one for who for whom the first context they have for these reminders is kind of that expression of yolo you know like you only live once so let's have that pint of ice cream let's um you know live it up do what have you um and um obviously that is not what you know i imagine you would recommend in your meditation retreats <laughs> Or, um, you know, I, I personally don't like telling people how they should live. I just want to remind them that life is precious and short and you need mm -hmm. to do what you want. But it was interesting in that piece how it immediately turned to, okay, YOLO, I'm going to, you know, do this kind of stuff. But immediately it didn't quite sit right and she wanted to go deeper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That it led her down a trail that was headed somewhere more 
more um, uh, poignant with meaning and possibility and sort of that, that journey. And that's, yes. that's what I like to see. You know, we all have to start exactly where we are. Mm-hmm. And if this app brings to your intention that you are dissatisfied with the things that you think are the precious moments of life, that's a good insight to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like yeah. if you were going to, if we all knew we were going to die like in a few hours or tomorrow and we were going to do one more thing, wouldn't you like to know what that thing would be really, really rewarding and not a dissatisfying thing? Like, shouldn't we have that information? So I get it's hard. It's hard for me sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes, especially a few years that I want to be done, I don't want to think about it. I'm busy. I'm doing a lot of things, but I, I still find when I engage, it can lead me down that trail of, I'm at the surface level, something's not working. Well, life is short. I better start figuring out how to make it work. Maybe I'll have a conversation with someone I trust. Maybe I'll meditate. Maybe I'll read a book I haven't read. I'll look for something to help. Um, And some people don't want to do that work. But I think if you are doing that work, it's ultimately helpful because it's always true. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're always going to die and we don't know when. So it's, it's never like unhelpful, I think, to tell someone what's only true. Yeah, 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 that's that's interesting. I think um, taking the long-term view, I think, is helpful here, um, as you're pointing out, because, you know, maybe in the short term, uh, uh, for someone who hasn't done the work or or feels really challenged in, in the sense of YOLO. I hadn't heard that before. I love it. YOLO. <laughs> YOLO comes up for them. And yet taking the long-term view that and trusting that there is something um, within them that hopefully be, will be woken, um, awakened so that they will, if, if they have had the instinct to, to download We Croak, there is, there is something in them that, that will reach out and for the right way and the right context. And really it comes back to early on in the conversation where we were talking about perspective, because I think what came up for me in, in, in learning about this, as I shared with you, uh, is the context is really important. Perspective is really important because getting this kind of a, uh, an information in a, in, with a perspective that is, oh, I'm only going to live once. Okay, let's just forget about it all. And 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 uh, I can be dishonest and go steal money and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's the perspective, right? It's the perspective of what the point is, what the value system is. Whereas with the perspective, with a diff- slightly different perspective, this reminder can really serve. So, so in the work that I do, I try to support people to discover for themselves and be opened up with curiosity and humility and love and interest to to learn a different perspective to be to become versed in a different way of seeing in a different way of seeing the world that is more supportive more nourishing more freeing more more happy more liberated so it's that perspective it's the way of seeing um that really everything that I teach does. And, and your um, app supports them within that perspective, hopefully, um, the, then these reminders can actually support the momentary invocation, the momentary aligning with values. So that's kind of how I see my work and yours really supporting um, and serving people. And it may serve a lot of people. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And I will say though, um, just because I want to be really full and complete, that as I'm sure you know, uh, and probably could explain better than me, um, there are some really scary things when you look at terror management theory about what happens when we're not ready for death and we're reminded of it because there's always death around us. Uh, I think there was an early study of judges. So the people who should be trained to make the most, well, judicious decisions, um, being uh, reminded of 
death and then um, uh, asked to make uh, bail recommendations and hypothetical cases for prostitution. And the control group, you know, set bails that were much lower, like $50 versus hundreds of dollars uh, on the thing. That these reminders can, um, you know, push and pull on our psychology in profound ways. And um, maybe it would be better to avoid thinking about it ever if we could avoid death, you know, but we can't. It's always going to be all around us. Right, right. Yes. So, so um, I think what you're saying is basically um, underscoring what I was trying to point out, which is that these reminders are really helpful given the, the container, given the perspective, given a helpful perspective. Whereas if there is not a helpful container or perspective or view, or way of seeing that then then may they may not be helpful in either in the case of the YOLO or in the case of the study that you pointed out. So I think I I feel we're in agreement. Is there anything else you're you're ex, uh, expressing here? I'm not quite getting. I think that's it. Is uh, oh. find your curiosity and that you know we can't ultimately. I guess it's my belief we can't really run from it, so we might as well face it. Um, in terms of your teaching. What would you say would be the most helpful starting place if someone was looking for more context, uh, something to be curious about that could help with that? Yeah, um, I would. I would start with. Um, let me think about this for a minute. I mean, I have various talks on the topic online on on my website. Um, and I think doing maybe a day long, I think that would be very helpful to do a day long because a day long can can support and a day is not that much time it can really support people with the context, with the support of both the teacher in real time to, to have their answers, their, their questions answered, as well as the support of a community, because something that I actually do in my teaching, it isn't just me, blah, 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 you know, talking and people uh, just listening. It's very interactive. It's a lot of exploration where people in small groups, after setting the container to have a sense of safety, to actually discuss uh, what does this bring up? What are you scared of? What happens, etc. And people report that in these uh, practice periods, they have the most intimate conversations with people they don't know that they've never had with their own family, um, that they feel safe to actually speak out loud and be held, uh, be held witness. Um, with, with these explorations that are so important. And, and when you actually speak out loud, you hear yourself saying that maybe um, things that you hadn't quite uh, connected the dots for yourself, if you had been quiet and just listening and speaking with others, it also, there's so much wisdom in the community. So, so in, in the way of holding, the, the reason why I'm suggesting a day long is, is that there's a sense of community participation um, of of explore, exploring these that can be very, very gentle as if entering, you know, a sea very slowly and the very shallow and, and supporting each other. So that's something that if people are up for it, I, I would really recommend that as, as, as a service, as a service to themselves and service to their loved ones. It's, it's really different from just listening to a talk. Yeah, I really like that reminder to come together. And I will say it's a big part of the death positive community is, you know, do death cafes, come together, yeah. hold it together. Um, and this is a time honored Buddhist idea of Sangha too, of course, that, um, you know, we, we don't have to um, face death alone. We can gather and hold each other. And that's, that's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's really important to, to discuss these ideas, bring them up, uh, have conversations. And I think one thing that I really appreciate in my role, in my seat as a Buddhist teacher is to is to provide the safe space and really the container. And, and especially after people have 
sat and I've done a guided meditation, really they're prepared and, and maybe they've done some loving kindness meditation to really hold each other and this, and a community agreement. So it's, it's, a, it's a really uh, supportive environment to have these conversations as, as best as, as um, I and others can possibly support and hold. So there's a lot of holding. It's not just, you know, go talk amongst yourselves. It's just a lot of holding, a lot of attention, care, tenderness, um, uh, attention paid to to setting the the environment that I think is really important also in having these conversations. Thank you, Nikki, for um, being so generous with your time this evening. Um, uh, people are listening to you today, and you know, want more. Where where can they find you? Yeah, um, I have a website where my um, schedule of teachings is listed and talks and uh, writings, various things. And the location of that is NikkiMergafori.com. Nikki is N-I-K-K-I, last name, Persian, a little complicated, M-I-R-G-H-A-F-O-R-I.com is where information could be found. And I so thank you, Hansa, for the invitation to have this conversation with you. And I really appreciate also your dedication to your practice, to your deepening, and the service that you have offered to so many practitioners um, around the world with with the app that you've created. And I love your app. Well, thank you. It feels like a great honor to hear that from you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Nikki Murgafuri, for joining us for the first episode of Season 5 of the WeCroak Podcast. If you're intrigued and want to try out one of her retreats, there's a one-day retreat coming up this weekend, January 30th. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And we also have a link, if you're interested in something a little bit longer, for a five-day retreat starting in early February. And until our next episode, we'll see you next time.